Today, the questions are going to be a little bit more random than they were last week. We don't have a particular theme today so much. But on the last question, I'm going to save most of my time for the last question. You've got the sermon notes there probably in a chair beside you. So if you want to get those and follow along with me, uh, you can. So we're going to start with some personal questions. Question number 10. So last week we did nine. This is question number 10. Do you like coffee? Evidently this person doesn't know me very well. Yes, I do. I love coffee. I love coffee very, very much, especially today. I love coffee a lot. Uh, let me give you my coffee recipe. And this is something you might not want to write down anything else I say, but I got a awesome recipe for coffee. So you buy dark roast coffee, dark roast. And then you mix uh, two-thirds dark roast, one-third hazelnut coffee. Y'all with me out there? And then you get this big old thing of cinnamon powder. And you get that at Sam's because you can get it in a 50-gallon barrel there. <laughs> and so I dump a ton of uh, cinnamon in there and stir all that up. Both of my grandmas are dead, but I'm telling you, if they were here, it would make me slap them. That is some good <laughs> coffee. That's good. Matter of fact, I, I, I'm, I'm so hooked on it, can't nobody, including Starbucks. If I ever let this, if I ever start a coffee business and do that coffee, I probably will have to leave as your pastor because we will have chains of coffee places all over the place. Now, once that is brewed, we mix in uh, formaldehyde, some of you call it artificial sweetener. We put that in there, and then we put tons of powdered creamer, and I have no idea. I think they invented that for NASA, and then they made it available to us. So I don't know what's in either one of those, but I'm 57, and you got to die of something, and I'd rather die happy than to live a long time sad because I couldn't have my coffee like I wanted it. I'm preaching up in here now. So y'all write this stuff down. Question number 11, how many pairs of Converse All-Stars do you have? Well, I got on one pair this morning. Here's a picture just so you guys can see my Converse All-Stars. I have five pairs of Converse All-Stars right here. And, of course, these are your favorites, aren't they? These are the favorite ones. And then I have all these various colors. I would like to say uh, that a lot of people don't have, and I understand that I'm... I'm really blessed, but these I have on today are leather Converse All-Stars. So one day, one day, pray, trust the Lord, walk in faith, and you'll have a pair of leather Converses yourself one day. All right, question number 12. Let's get serious. Question number 12. How do I find and connect with a Christian mentor at the bridge? You know what? We have mentorship ministry in this church but it's usually specialized, like with marriage or with those who want to go deeper in the scriptures. Here's what I would advise you to do. We don't have a mentor program per se, but if you will call the office and talk to us, especially Pastor Andy, uh, who is the Connections Pastor, he will listen to you talk about what you want what you want in a mentor, and we can connect you with somebody. We'll do everything we can to connect you with somebody who can come along beside you and help you develop. We do have in our congregation a couple of professional life coaches, 
and they are great, great men of God, and there is an expense, there's a charge uh, if you want them to be your life coach, but i got to tell you something, it's very minimal, and uh, they will be happy, happy to help you. They're already helping some people in our church, and we've never advertised it. We're going to be saying more about that a little bit later, but we do have uh, some ways we can help you with that. Does that make sense? All right, question number 13. Now, I thought this was a great question. You guys have heard me address this. You've heard me talk about this uh, when I've preached before. Why can you, I'm, I don't know if you're talking about me in particular, why can't a person, why can't a preacher pick verses from one part of the Bible, then another part of the Bible, and then another part of the Bible, and then put them all together? How do we know we're not being manipulated? Well, i got to tell you something. Sometimes when a Bible teacher does that, you are being manipulated. Um, there is uh, basically a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. So let's say somebody asks you to speak on the topic of fear. Uh, you could go to passages in the Bible, like 10 or 12 verses that kind of deal with fear, and you could stay right there and teach on that. Or you could start there and then go to other scriptures in the Bible that support that. So there's a right way and a wrong way. Now here's how we know there's a right way to do that. You have in your Bible, most of you have in your Bible something that's called cross-references. Anybody got that in their Bible? How many of you got that but have no idea what that is? <laughs> cross-references in your Bible. Let me talk about that just a little bit. Most Bibles offer this. Uh, the definition of a cross-reference in the Bible is it is something that identifies commonalities. So if you are studying your Bible and you see a letter, like a little A or B or C, and then there's a column down the middle of your Bible, if you will go, if you will look, see that A and then go over to the verse and it has the A under it, it will take you to another scripture that is directly related to that scripture, Okay. So that's correct. That's okay. That's a great way to do that. Now, you can cross-reference in your Bible without using that cross. I mean, you can do your own cross-referencing. Um, but that cross-reference, what it does is it creates uh, a chain of themes that connect together, words that connect together, events and people that connect together in the Bible. Now, listen carefully to this next statement. Correctly selecting verses throughout the Bible to support or prove a truth is all about making sure that you are interpreting that verse or that piece of verse. And you have to remember, guys, this is really important when you're studying the Bible. Men divided the Bible up into chapters and verses. And I gotta tell you, I believe 100% that the Bible is infallible. I believe 100% that the Bible is inerrant. But I want to tell you that verse breakdown and chapter breakdown in your Bible, that was done in the 1400s. Uh, uh, probably, I, I should have studied this. I think in the King James, when the King James Version was developed, I think that's when it was broken down into chapters and verses that is not inspired by God. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
the way it is broke down in chapters and verses was not inspired by God. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Actually, it's a very good thing because it would really be hard to find things in the Bible if you couldn't tell people what chapter and verse to go to. So it's a great idea. However, a lot of people think that the thought changes from one chapter to another, and sometimes it does, but not always. So when you get to the end of a chapter that you're studying in the Bible, you need to go read the first verses and right on into that next chapter because that whoever divided that might have divided that in the wrong place. I can show you many, many places in the Scripture where you really need to read right into the next chapter because that was never meant to be separated. Are you all with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a lot of little nuances, a lot of little subtleties that if you understand them, it'll make the Bible uh, become more alive and uh, more real to you. So, so what you want to do, let's go back to the example of fear again. Let's say you're going to teach on fear, you're going to talk to a friend about fear, and, and they want to know what the Bible says about fear. Then, then what you may want to do, this is just an example, is you may want to go to the story of David and Goliath. That's a story that's very, very familiar. And you see there that there could be a great lesson taught about fear, how to overcome fear, how to be courageous, how that God came along and said, I'm going to take care of you, David. You go on out there and fight this giant. And then David said to the giant, you're not really fighting me, you're fighting God. And But then you could go from that story, you could use that story as your foundation, but then you can go from that story to New Testament scriptures or other Old Testament scriptures to reinforce what you're trying to teach on fear. Here's what you have to make sure is that you're not using a verse out of context. You're not using a verse out of context to make the Bible say something that it's not really saying. Uh, if you've attended this church very long, any length of time, you have heard me say many times that by plucking a verse from over here and a, and a piece of a verse over here and various part, from various parts of the Bible, you can make the Bible say really about anything you want it to say. But that's wrong. That's the wrong way. So let's talk about, real quickly before we move on to the next question, let's talk about the wrong way. And here's what people usually do when they get messed up on what the Bible means. Um, what they will do is they will often determine what they want to believe first. And then go to the Bible to find verses and evidence to support what they've already decided they want to believe. Do you see what I'm saying? That's wrong. That's the wrong way to do it. I've seen it done a lot of times. I've seen it done by a lot of preachers. I got to tell you, in my younger days, I probably did it myself. But it's not right. It's not correct, the correct way to do it. So let me just read that so you'll get a, a full thought there. Often, people first determine what they want to believe, then go to the Bible to find verses or parts of verses that seem to support their belief. Again, that is the wrong way to go about it. And when a person, teacher, preacher, pastor, whatever, goes about it that way, it brings confusion into the church. It brings erroneous teaching into the church. And so we can't do it that way. 
Um, I don't mean to offend anybody here today because you might really be into this thing I'm about to say. But there used to be a major, major emphasis on prosperity and healing preaching. Do y'all remember those days? We don't hear as much about it now as we used to. But that's kind of how that whole teaching got out of whack. People decided what they wanted to believe about healing. They decided what they wanted to believe about prosperity and finances. And, uh, you know, you can be well all the time and you can be rich all the time if you've got enough faith. Um, the only thing wrong with that is it ain't true. <laughs> uh, I know faith-filled people who have very little resources and have known a lot of suffering in their life, and they're loaded with faith. Amen, amen. So we don't preach that here. If you're looking for a prosperity gospel, um, we don't preach that here. Now, we do preach that God wants to bless you and take care of you, and uh, if you would just go back and listen to our sermons, you can't come here on one Sunday and hear one sermon and know everything about what we believe. Uh, but if you'll listen to enough of our sermons and you'll listen to enough of our lessons and you'll go in our bookstore and look at the kind of books we promote, you can kind of get an idea of where this church is coming from and you can get it pretty quick. So that's the wrong way. Now here's the correct way. The correct way to understand the true meaning of a verse in the Bible or a passage in the Bible or a book of the Bible is to go to the Bible first. Go to the Bible first. Then when you read something that you think you understand it, then you begin to pray and say, Holy Spirit, well, I would pray first and say, Holy Spirit, lead me where you want me to go. Then when you read what you think he led you to read, by the way, he wrote the book, so he's the best teacher, Holy Spirit, amen. And so then when you read a passage, then you, you uh, say, Holy Spirit, you know, Pastor Farrell's my teacher and Pastor Andy and and Pastor Andrew, and Pastor Jared, and, and Pastor Jeremy, they're my teachers. But God, you are my ultimate teacher. Amen, amen? Do y'all understand that? Do you understand that I am not a priest that you have to come to to hear from God? I mean, you, he's your high priest. He's my high priest. You just go to him, and you say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, teach me. That doesn't mean you don't need books. Because there was a teaching one time that got way off on that, and it said you don't need books, you don't need education, you don't need to go to Bible college, you don't need to go to cemetery, seminary, you don't need to go. Some people went to cemetery, didn't they? Uh, just listen to them preach. Um, and so, so I'm not saying that to you, but when you mix sweat equity, when you work, to know the Word of God, and you stay on your knees and you fast and pray, God's going to teach you. God's going to teach you some stuff, and you're going to grow. You're going to grow up, and you're going to be able to deal with issues in life much better because you're going to have the right perspective. So, man, I'm telling you right now, in 2014, I mean, here we are right at the beginning. Get going. Get going, and we got an awesome devotional book. If, you don't, if you're new in the Lord, or maybe you're not even a Christian yet, and you just don't even know what to do. You don't even know how to get started. We got a Bible for you over here that's free. We want to give you today before you leave. We got books in the bookstore that we have are selling to you at the very price we paid for them. Got most of them in bulk, so we got them at a good price. So you're able to pick those up. But there is a devotional called the Celebrate Recovery Devotional. And it is good for anybody. And we got a real deal on those 
Now, you don't have to. You say, Pastor, I don't have two pennies to rub together. If you can get online, there are tons of great devotionals free online. As a matter of fact, if you'll sign up for them, they will email you one every morning. And the people said, anybody get that stuff? Y'all get that? You say, well, I need a Bible, but I can't afford a Bible. Well, I've noticed that people can't afford Bibles can still afford one of these. So, let me just say that you can go to Uversion. Uversion, it is free. Thank you, Craig Grishel, pastor of Life Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. That's where Uversion, that church did that. Craig Grishel got saved reading a free Bible. And he said, when I, if God ever leads me to be, be a pastor, I'm going to create a way people can get the Bible free. And it is probably the most used online version of the Bible. How many of y'all got you version on your phone? Good, good, good. Awesome, awesome. And that's a great uh, Bible to have. And you can put it on your phone. And then when I'm preaching, you can actually be texting. And I'll think you're reading the Bible. So you'll be good to go. And, but God knows what you're doing. All right. So there's just so many resources out there, so many resources. You young people, man, you guys are living in a great time where there's so much access to God. There's, a bun- there's access to a bunch of junk out there. I started using another word. But there's uh, access, I better tell you what, I started to say crap. There's a bunch of junk out there, <laughs> amen, that you can get. And i got to tell you something, even, I doubt many pastors said that today, in Wayne County. There is a Greek word for that, but we won't go into that. But um, I, would just, I would just be really, really careful. And if you want to, if you find something you think you like and you want to shoot it to me and say, Pastor, is this good? Um, I, will, I will look at it for you and tell you. Okay? Question number 14. Everybody good? Everybody all right? Question number 14. Oh, let me talk about this real quick before I move on to that. <clears throat> Let me give you two words, expository preaching, and the first time I went into an expository preaching class, I didn't know what that was, and I called it a suppository <laughs> preaching class, and two guys met me at the door and went, stop saying that, so okay. Now, I felt like some sermons, well, anyway, but, <laughs> but um, expository preaching, and that is the way I preach most of the time is verse by verse. We're going to do it today. We're about to do it right now, verse by verse. Matter of fact, we're not even going to do verse by verse. We're going to take one verse and do phrase by phrase. That, listen, that is the best way to preach, and it is the best way to study the Bible. Because here's what expository study does, and here's what expository preaching does. It makes you cover everything. It makes you cover everything. Like if you take a book of the Bible... You know, I, I haven't even told my creative team yet. They're probably going to slap me when I tell them. But I'm, in my prayer time recently, I just feel like God's wanting me to do a sermon series on the book of Ruth. On the book of Ruth. And uh, the women said, Amen. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, and my, my creative team right now is going, we ain't heard nothing about that. So, so um, when I do the book of Ruth, we'll go verse by verse through that book. And I'll do a sermon series on it. And we will deal with whatever topic comes up in that book. You see why that's the best way to study the Bible? Because if you jump all around, if you're not really, really careful and you don't really know how to handle the Bible, you can, you can mistakenly think the Bible's saying something it's not saying. Okay? All right? 
And so, so expository preaching is verse by verse. Topical preaching, topical preaching is when you choose a topic like fear and then go in and just pick random verses in the Bible. Now that doesn't mean you're not preaching the truth that way. But it's just not the, you don't get as much depth in the preaching and in the teaching when you do it that way. But I do it that way sometimes. Sometimes it's necessary uh, to do it that way. Some of the greatest preachers in the world today, and you can cool believe that I am listening to and reading the greatest preachers in the world today. Uh, and they do that from time to time. But 90% of the time they're verse by verse or phrase by phrase like we're going to do it today. Okay. Now, question 14, <laughs> slide person. All right, question number 14. Where did the phrase, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it, come from? Where did that come from, Pastor? Also, where did the phrase, God will not give us more than we can handle, come from? Are these biblical Phrases. Well, they're not direct quotes from the Bible, but they do line up with the Bible. Okay? I've got a little saying that I put out there all the time. If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. Well, that isn't in the Bible, but that is a biblical principle. Amen? Amen? That if God knows he can get something through you. For instance, if you want knowledge, no, I want more knowledge. I want more knowledge of the Bible. Well, here's what God's asking you. Are you going to give it away? Because I know a lot of people who are students of the Bible, but they keep it all for themselves. When you ask God for something, God's going to ask you, and are you going to let me get it through you? Because if I'll, I'll probably give you this, I'll probably bless you with this, if I know you're going to turn around and represent me to somebody and bless them with what I'm about to bless you with. Are y'all getting what I'm saying today? It's really important. So, so where did that come from? Well, it came from 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to read that in, in three versions of the Bible. The first one is up here on the screen. So let's look at this one first. One verse kind of wraps it up. Now, now, I tell you what you would really, really enjoy is if you would go back to 1 Corinthians 10 later this week and read the verses before it and the verses after it. Because if you'll do that, it'll take on even a deeper dimension to you when you understand the context in which Paul said this. Okay? No temptation. Another word for temptation right there is trial. Trial. No temptation or trial has overtaken you, but is such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you are able. Everybody say amen to that. Let me ask you something. Do y'all thank God for that promise right there? <laughs> How many of y'all thought he took you right to the edge a few times, though? Right to the edge. But with the temptation, with the trial, God will provide the way of, everybody say hallelujah, <laughs> so that you will be to endure it. That's where that comes from, okay? Now let's read it from the message. You guys know I love the message because it just puts it right down where we live today. Let's read it in the message. Now it's not going to come up here on the message, but you got it in your notes, I believe, don't you? Do you? Yeah, I'm brilliant. Right there it is. Plus, I'm humble. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13 from the message. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. You say, oh, you didn't see me with the children last night. He'll, he'll how often? Be there to what? Help you what? Come through it. Now, let's go to the Amplified. Have y'all got the Amplified Bible? Anybody got the Amplified Bible? Man, you need the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible does so much work for you. It, it puts the Scripture in there, but then it puts the deeper meaning of the Greek words in the New Testament and the deeper meaning of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament. Amplified Bible's great. It's great. I used to think it was a woman's Bible because the only person I ever heard use it was Joyce Meyer. So I said, that's got to be a girl Bible right there. Boy, was I wrong. I was wrong about that. So look at it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For no temptation. Now look in the parentheses. No trial regarded as enticing to sin. We're going to talk about that in a minute, so hang in there. No matter how it comes or where it leads, no temptation has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance. And that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience as such and such as man can bear. And then he goes on. But God is what? Faithful. To his word, if he's promised it, he'll do it. And to his compassionate nature. Now you got to remember that. People go, did God say blah, blah, blah? And I don't have a place in the Bible where God actually said that, but I know his nature. So I can look at people and go, you know, there's not a place in the Bible that explicitly says that, but I know the nature of God, and it is my belief that God's attitude toward that would be this. Okay, now that's an opinion, but I think you can have accurate opinions, don't you? He goes on, and he, God, can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed, that means attacked, beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure, but with that temptation, with that trying time, with that assailant jumping all over you, God will, he will, how often? Always also provide the way out and, and the means, that means um, way of escape to a landing place. Isn't that good? I love that. That you may be capable, I love that, strong, amen, and what? To what? How? In other words, he might not do it overnight. Matter of fact, he might not do it. I know people who have tons of faith, faith through the roof, more faith than I'll ever have. And they have a lot more trials than I do. But they patiently endure under the power and strength of God's mighty hand. And I'm amazed at those people. I'm amazed at them. My dad's one of those people. So what is the context of this? Paul is speaking to them as an apostle Listen carefully now. Paul is speaking to them as their pastor. 
And he is talking to them specifically here, not just about troubles and trials, but he's speaking to them specifically here. You've got to look at the church he's talking to, and you'll know why. Uh, this was the Corinthian church, and buddy, they believed in the power of God, but they also had a lot of corruption and rotten stuff going on in those churches. And so Paul is, in, Paul is teaching them specifically about their temptation to sin. And he's telling them that there is no temptation that you can't say no to. Now, I've heard people tell me that they have temptations come in their life they can't say no to. Well, then if that's true, God's a lie. God is not a liar, is he? God tells the truth. He is talking specifically to them about their sin, and here's what he's saying about their sin. God will help you avoid it, and the way he will help you avoid it is avoid giving in to temptation. Now, you've got to understand something. Temptation's not a sin. So when you're tempted to do something and you don't do it, you didn't sin. Now, Satan will come along, the enemy of our soul will come along, and he will make you feel guilty about being tempted. And he will try to condemn you because you were tempted. So don't let him do that. Now, if you continue to battle with the same temptation over and over again, and most of us have temptations that are, that are especially uh, deal, you know, bear upon us individually, that's, the, that's why you need a friend. That's why you need an accountability friend. So you can say, i got to tell you, man, I'm really being tempted in this area. I had a preacher buddy call me not long ago from another state, and he, uh, he confessed some things to me that he had been dealing with. He hadn't given in, but he was being tested. He was being, he was being tempted. And so we were able to pray and talk on the phone. And I got guys I do that with. I got guys I do that with. I go, I go I'm sitting here in, the, here in the parking lot of Bojangles. I need some prayer. <laughs> um, he's teaching them that they... Uh, can be victorious over all temptation. Now, sometimes you think, Pastor, it's just too hard. I can't do it. I can't do it. Or maybe you're not struggling with the temptation to sin so much, but rather a very painful circumstance. But really, that's a temptation because when you go through a painful circumstance in life, you're being tempted to react to that like an unbeliever. That's what you're tempted when you go through. And look, there's some people sitting in this audience right now who are going through some dark hours of the soul. There are people sitting right here in this audience right now, today, who are going through some dark, dark, dark hours of the soul, scared to death, worried to death, concerned so deeply. Here's what we have to be so careful of as Christians that we keep our hand in his hand so that while the world watches us react to crisis, they see something different in us. They see something. There's no better time, no more powerful time to witness to lost people than when you're going through hell on earth. And let them see how you react to it. And they will see and know what you're going through and they will say there is a God. There is a God. So maybe it's a painful circumstance. Maybe it's a doctor's report, an illness. Maybe you've lost someone in death and you're grieving and you're having a hard time. Maybe it's a financial crisis. Maybe it's a relational, somebody you love, somebody you care about, somebody who's a dear friend, or maybe it's even in your family and there's a broken relationship and it just feels like it's too much for you to handle. 
Whatever your situation is here today, God has a message for you. And I want you to just look at me and let me say to you what God's message to you is. No temptation or trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, in that verse are five things, and I'm going to give them to you real fast. Now, they're in your notes, so we're going to break this verse down. Y'all ready? Anybody getting anything today? You getting something out of this? All right. So look at the first thing. Now, here's the first phrase you got to get. you got to understand it is actually a sentence within that verse. It is the first sentence. There are two sentences in this verse. Here's the first sentence. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now, what does that mean to me? Here's what it means. You are not alone. You are not alone. You're not the first person or the only person to go through what you're currently experiencing. Whether, again, you have lost a loved one or a job or a marriage, or whether your battle is against sin, there are millions of people around the world, multiplied billions of people around the world, and billions and trillions of people throughout all of history who have experienced the same exact thing you're experiencing and worse. That's what Pastor Paul wants his church to understand. He is saying to them, he says here, uh, something that should give us, as it gave to them, an incredible amount of hope and encouragement. Now you might be sitting here right now, you might be thinking, how, how does that help me to know a bunch of other people went through that? Here's how. Because common problems have common solutions. Common problems have common solutions. That's one of the reasons you need to study the Bible. There is, you can find just about every problem you have now. Maybe not specifically. It would be hard to find in the Bible somebody who had trouble with computer technology. However, you can find somebody in the Bible who had trouble with a system and the way that system wasn't working correctly and how they got a bad attitude about that or how they let it depress them. The Bible addresses your issues. Common problems have common solutions. Your situation has details unique to you, no doubt, but at its core, it is just like many other people have experienced. So Scripture was written, listen carefully, to people and about people who were in many ways just like us. They had pain in their life. They had experienced all kinds of pain. They had experienced death and sorrow and grief. There were bad marriages in the Bible. There were problems in the churches that are mentioned in the Bible. They struggled with the same kind of temptations we do. So the solutions God gave them apply to us as well. And when whatever you, your struggle is, the solution is always found in God's word to us. Now here, here is the, here's the, a major thing God wants you to get out of the first sentence of this verse. And I've preached on this before, and I've talked to you guys about this before. And when I say it, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I've heard you talk about that before. But I'm going to talk about it again because this is one of Satan's prevalent tools. This is one of the main things he uses against you, and it's isolation. Isolation. 
isolation. That's a, isolation is actually a military strategy where the enemy wants to get you cut off from the rest of the troop, the rest of the division. The enemy wants to get a small group within that uh, group of larger group of soldiers, wants to get them isolated and just take them out one by one, little groups or individuals, and just eat away and win the battle that way. Well, I got to tell you something, man, that's exactly how the enemy works. And I don't know anybody he hasn't tried this on. Isolation is one of his primary strategies. And here's the deal. It's a mind game. It's a mind game. How many of y'all know Satan plays mind games? Now, there might be somebody here who's going, y'all really believe in Satan? Yes, we do. We believe three things about Satan in this church. We believe that he is a decided fact. He does exist. And the reason we believe that is because we believe the Bible. We believe not only he's a decided fact, we believe he is a destructive force. And he will never do you good. He always wants to do you harm. But the third thing we really believe in, that is that he's a defeated foe. And that's because of the cross, amen, and the empty tomb. Jesus is a defeated foe. So the enemy wants to get in your head. I said Jesus is... Well, see, now let, look, let me point something out. Only 40 people were listening because only 40 people laughed. <laughs> Jesus is the mighty conqueror of all things. <laughs> Satan has been defeated. <laughs> I knew what I was saying. I was checking. And I'm really blessed by you all who are listening right here and have a critical spirit. So, so Satan plays mind games. You, know, you understand? I'm telling you right now, if he can get upstairs and get in your head and rent out some space up there for free, he is going to work on you. Matter of fact, he's going to keep you, he's going to keep you so messed up that even though you're one of God's children, you're really no good to the kingdom. So it's a mind game. Here's what he wants you to think. He wants you to think you're the worst. He wants you to think nobody is tempted the way you are. He wants you to think nobody's as inconsistent as you are. He wants you to think nobody struggles and fails as much as you do. Isolation. 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 That's why when you see people stay out of church, it's fine if they go to another church, but if you see people, well, it's not fine, breaks my heart, but they're, at least they're in church. But when people leave church and quit going to church, that's why it's so important we reach out there. Because probably the reason they're not coming is because he got in their head and was renting some space up there free of charge, and, and they just got some perspective on the church or perspective on their life or whatever, and they bought into this stuff that I'm the worst and nobody's tempted the way I am and nobody's as inconsistent as I am and nobody struggles and fails and falls the way I do so but that's why it's so important for you to be here today because you, <laughs> I want you to just look at the person beside you and just think, he's worse than I am. Let's do that right now. Makes, make you feel good. <laughs> it's not going to have a real good effect on your neighbor, but it'll make you feel better. <laughs> that's why life groups are so important. We got over 50 life groups in this church, and that's why they're so important. Because when you go to a life group, 
people open up and they share stuff that they are battling with, you don't have to. You say, that's why I don't go. I don't want to talk about that. I know, but, and you might not in the group, but you might find somebody. Or somebody might say something that you go, hey, man, can we meet for coffee? And then you have coffee one morning and go, look, you know that thing you said at group last night? Man, I, I appreciate you saying that because i got to tell you, I'm battling with that. And then there that person is to help you. See, we got to help each other. Man, you start drifting out there, i got to throw a rope to you. You see me drift, you better throw a rope to me. You say, Pastor, have you ever drifted and people had to throw a rope to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Look, i got the same flesh, sin nature in me that you have in you. Now, I'm not as bad as y'all are, but still. <laughs> I'm just like you. I'm just like you guys. I battle just like you do. Might be a different battle, might be a different temptation, but it's all the same. It's away from God. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We, like sheep, have gone astray. It's our nature. Our nature isn't to come to God. Our nature is to go away. Look at Hebrews 4.15. Because even Jesus knows what we feel. Is that important to you? That's important to me to know Jesus knows how I feel. Look at that verse. It's up here on the screen. For we do not have a high priest that is like what we're about to describe. We don't have a Jesus. Our Jesus is not like what I'm about to say. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a, a Lord, a God like that who doesn't know what we're going through. But one, capital Zero, capital O, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he didn't sin without sin. But he knows, man, when you go through something, Jesus goes, man, let me show you my T-shirt. Been right there, done that. You say, man, that's hard to imagine. It might be hard to imagine and I know I can't explain it theologically, but he was 100% man and 100% God. You just blew my mind, Pastor. Look at the next little phrase in this scripture, God is faithful. <laughs> Can we just go home now? Because I'm going to tell you, if you get that one right there, that's it. That's all you need. Everybody say, God is faithful. Amen, amen. He's faithful. No true Christian would deny God's faithfulness, but maybe you've been tempted to secretly wonder if he'll be faithful to you. Have you ever felt like that? Oh, pastor, I believe in God's faithfulness. I know God's faithful, but you, know, you don't really know me. I came from the wrong side of the tracks, and I've messed up a whole lot, and I know he's faithful, but he can't be faithful to somebody like me. That's a lie. Look at this next scripture, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy, if you ever want to read that, it's right before 2 Timothy. <laughs> 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are unfaithful, he, glory to God. I can't depend on you losers, but God is right there with me. <laughs> Amen? Isn't that good? Man, if you are unfaithful, he stays faithful. For he cannot Go against his character. He cannot deny who he is. Mm. About to get Pentecostal up here. 
<laughs> this man. I'm going to come out here like T.D. Jakes one Sunday. I'm going to say, get ready, get ready, get ready. And y'all going to go, get ready for what? <laughs> this means God is always faithful to every person. Everybody say it with me. God is always to every because his character is at stake. The Bible says in Psalm 23, for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will go with me, he will be with me, he will not leave me for his name's sake. His name's on the line. His character's on the line. That's why he'll never leave you. That's why he'll never turn his back on you. His character, his name, his reputation is on the line. Those of you who aren't used to me preaching like this, buckle your seatbelt. God's faithfulness always overcomes sin. God's faithfulness always overcomes trials. God's faithfulness always overcomes persecution. God was faithful to Israel in Ezekiel 16, even after they had committed unspeakable idolatry, acts of idolatry. God was faithful to David, even after he sinned with Bathsheba. God was uh, faithful to Peter, even after he denied him three times. God was faithful to Daniel in the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat in the fiery furnace. <laughs> See if y'all are listening. Everybody knows it's not a billy goat, it's to bed we go. Shadrach. <laughs> Listen to this. Sin and impossible circumstances are no match for the faithfulness of God. <clears throat> Look at the next phrase. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Whatever you're facing right now, Paul declared in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, First part of that verse, this is one of those verses where we can pull, pull out a little piece of the verse and not do damage to the truth. 2 Corinthians 12, 9a, is that one up here? Yeah, God says, my grace is, it's enough. It's enough. You know what that word grace there, it, it's a dual meaning. It means um, unmerited love, undeserved love, but it also means divine enablement. Amen. God's divine enablement is enough for, he didn't just say it's enough. He put you in there. Aren't you, aren't you glad God didn't just go around bragging, I got it, I got all the power there is. I, he said it's for you. I don't know about y'all, but that's pretty big right there to me. My, my grace is sufficient for you for power. Listen to what this means. My power, God's power is perfected in our weaknesses. I mean, when you put the power of God up against the backdrop of our weaknesses, it makes God's power look pretty big, don't it? That's what that means. may not feel like it's possible, but on the basis of God's character, by his strength, you can overcome every trial. Maybe you've observed others going through difficult things and you've thought, I could never go through that. The truth is, if God placed it in your life, he would give you the grace to go through it. 
Whatever you're experiencing right now, whatever you're experiencing this morning, God will give you the grace to go through it. Look at the next little phrase. It says, with the temptation, he, God, will provide a way of escape. Everybody say hallelujah. Is this verse rich with some good promises? Amen. This means God will provide in every every situation a right path. A right path for you to take. In every situation, there's always a choice of roads to travel. When faced with the temptation to sin, you can choose to surrender or you can choose to resist and flee. When you are confronted with a difficult ordeal, you can give up to despair. You can surrender to anxiety, which may very well turn to bitterness. How many of you know anxiety will turn to anger and then anger to bitterness if you're not real careful? Or you can endure with the strength God provides because he promised he would. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord today. Whatever your situation, God's word will light a path. God's word will light a way of escape. God will show you the path to follow. He'll get you through every situation. And he will get you out of the enemy's territory. The last thing. Here's the Farrell Hardison version of this last little phrase. Are y'all looking at it in your notes? Here's my version, and it will not kill you. You may think it's going to kill you, but the Bible says you will be able to what? Endure it. After Paul reminds you that your situation is common, after Paul tells you that God is faithful, after Paul in this verse says he'll strengthen you and guide you through difficult times, then he turns right around at the end and assures us that if you will follow God's path and keep your focus on him, because that's what we do, we lose focus, you, you can and will endure. I love this quote. I don't know who said it. If you're weighed down with the pressures of life, God may not remove the burden, but he will strengthen your legs to come up under it and bear it. Think about it. The Bible isn't only for people with simple problems. Getting run off the road, coming to church by the pastor. See, that's just a little simple problem. Plumbing issues. Bad traffic. The Bible addresses all people and all problems, whether they're trivial or severe. I mean, if they're life-dominating sins and temptations or terminal illnesses or whatever, God says it doesn't matter the size of the issue, I will be faithful. Now, I want you to listen to this. The apostles had personally evangelized and taught many of the people to whom they wrote. So when you read their letters, which most of the New Testament is letters that pastors have written to their churches, when you read their letters, you quickly realize that the people and the churches back then had very difficult problems and they needed pastoral apostolic instruction. In fact, the Old Testament scriptures were for New Testament believers the way the whole Bible is for us today. And here it is. And I didn't put this, I don't think this is even in your notes, but write this down if it's not. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now these things happened to them, back in the Old Testament, as an example, 
but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So that tells us that these things in the Bible, when we see how God solved problems back then, it is a pattern for us to look at today. So when you read 1 Corinthians 10, 13, here's what you need to remember. No matter what, no matter the depth, no matter the depth of my temptation or trial, I got to remember a lot, a lot, a lot of other people have been through the same thing. I'm not isolated. I'm not a special case. I'm not damaged goods. The Lord is going to be faithful to me. He's provided a way of escape. I may not see it yet. I may not know it now. I might just be in that dark place right now, but I know if I'll stay focused on him, he's going to provide a path, and he's, I'm going to get out of this, and it's not going to kill me. I'm going to endure it. Used to be an old hymn we sung in the church a long time ago called Leaning, Leaning, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms of Jesus. And then, then later, you know, we got real contemporary and started singing a chorus called Learning to Lean. We thought we were cutting edge. Y'all remember? Let me tell you something about those two songs. They're still true today. Here's what some of you are doing you're leaning on your own understanding and you're going deeper in the hole. You're leaning on your education. You're leaning on what unbelievers are telling you. You're, leaving, you're leaning on books you're reading that aren't biblically based. You're leaning on a counselor who doesn't know the Lord. Here's what I'm saying to you. Stop leaning on those things. And lean on Him. I love in that old hymn it says... Leaning on, it doesn't say just leaning, leaning, leaning on his arms. It says leaning on his what kind of arms? Don't get tired. You go to a counselor long enough, they're going to tell you don't come back anymore. You, you keep taking your same stuff to a friend, they're going to get weary and start going, I can't, I don't think I can get together today. You, you, you keep going back to the books of million and buying all those self-help books that don't have anything to do with God and the Bible, Jesus, any of that, and you're reading that and it's telling you 10 things to do to be happier and you've read all of them and tried to do them and you're not happier. Jesus is calling you. He's going, I don't get tired and my stuff always works. Amen? Bow your heads, please.